Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. My name is Tim, and I'm uh, filling in today. Good to have you with us. Uh, hope you had a good Thanksgiving, and um, I hope you have a good holiday as well, a happy holiday. Um, we were in Mount Carmel, went home a little bit, talked to my uh, some of my relatives about the election. I'm sure some of you had some lively discussion there. Um, it was lively, indeed, uh, but it's good to be back home, and... Um, the Christmas season officially beginning. Can you believe it's 28 days until Christmas? And Walmart is crazy. I was at Walmart last night, Home Depot, Lowe's, and Fazoli's. Heard Christmas music, saw lots of those crazy inflatable things. They're coming up with crazier things than ever. Uh, spending is up. There's a confidence in the, in the economy right now. And so uh, people are looking for all kinds of things. I don't know what you're doing this Christmas, what you're planning on doing. I know that uh, we have a Christmas service that's going to be on Christmas Eve on the 24th. That's a Saturday here at Greater Alton. And uh, we have uh, Coral Kimball has, uh, let's see, produced, directed, written the screenplay and is doing a lot of stuff. Uh, they're practicing right now as we are going to have this service. It's called Pursuing the King, so I decided to have a series on the same thing. But we'll wrap up this series Christmas Eve on the 24th. I can't believe it, 28 days, and Christmas is here. I love Christmas. I love Christmas, and um, it's a special time of year. I don't know what um, if Christmas is something you like. I've always, I was the Christmas kid in my family. I set up the nativity. I set up the Christmas tree. My family were Ebenezer Scrooges. They bought humbugged everything uh, during the Christmas season, but I'd always find something. I drag something in the house and put stuff on it and lights. If I couldn't find a tree, a bush would do anything. Um, we had one of those aluminum trees that was a fire hazard. And I put lights on them. I didn't care. That would have been a memory, huh? Had one of those uh, heat-generated color scheme things that would rotate from the, light, the heat of the light bulb and it would change the color of our aluminum Christmas tree. I don't know what you're looking forward to. I don't even know. Let me ask you this. Maybe what you're pursuing on Christmas. Maybe it's that great deal that on Black Friday or now it's Cyber Mondays tomorrow. Maybe you're pursuing that. Maybe it's putting up some lights. I've put up lots of lights. One of the first people in my neighborhood, I flipped the lights on and everybody starts flipping their lights on and um, got lots of bulbs to change. A lot of them are... I said they were up. I don't know if they're working very well. But... Um, Maybe you're doing that. Maybe you're looking forward to wrapping presents, getting presents, giving presents. Maybe you're looking forward to being with your family. And all these are good. All these are good. But can I tell you that uh, sometimes these good things can crowd out what Christmas is really about. And that is, it's about people looking for a king. Let me show you some passages here. This was written centuries before it took place. If you've got notes in your bulletin, you'd like to pull them out. You can follow along, whatever you like to do. Uh, look at this, what it says here. O Bethlehem, Paphratha, you are but a small Judean village, yet you will be the birthplace of my king who is alive from ages past. This was said centuries before it took place that a king was coming king was going to be born and this king had been around before 
look at the words of an angel written to an expected mother named Mary. She's about to have a child. And this is what the angel says to her. He will be great. Imagine, Mom, wouldn't you love to hear an angel say your son, your daughter would be great? Huh? I know we got some proud parents here. Ashley Gill was baptized. I understand last night, right? Is Ashley anywhere? Stand up, Ashley, and wave to everybody. There she is. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mom and Dad are very excited to see that. And uh, I know that Spencer Dahmer was also baptized this past week. And as a study with Mike, he's not here. I mean, that's cool. That's cool. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's my prayer. They'll be great in the kingdom. They'll do great, great things with God. But notice he says he'll be great. People will call him the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God, notice this, will make him king like his ancestor David. He will rule. He's not just a king in name. He will rule over the people of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. It's that powerful. It says a lot about a kingdom that stays around forever. There must be a lot of power behind this king that's coming. And so what I find is, I, as I started reading uh, the story of Christmas in the first two chapters of Matthew and the first two chapters of Luke, I realized something, and that is I tend to stop the, or start the Christmas story too late and end it too soon. I don't know where your Christmas story is. As a kid, I remember setting up the nativity and having the wise men at the stable with Jesus in a manger. That's not quite right. And I also had a little drummer boy. I added him in. Um, and because, you know, when a choir is singing about the drummer boy, it's got to be right, right? And so I had him in there for a while. And I remember there's a donkey and a sheep and there's Jesus and then it had these camels and and the manger was made out of pop or the stable was made out of popsicle sticks i don't know if that's even accurate no of course not <laughs> i know i mean today you go online and type in you got you got santa claus bowing at the manger was he there of course not you know but i mean there's these things like this it wasn't until i got into preacher school that i found out that the wise men showed up at the house to see jesus to see jesus and he was two years old around two years old. That shocked me. I thought I knew the story. I mean, after all, I'm the Christmas kid of the house. I'm in charge of the manger. I don't know what your story is, but I'll tell you what is, I'd like to encourage you to read Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, those, those two chapters in both those books, because there's the bulk of our information about Christmas, the first Christmas. And I was surprised what I, had to, what I found, that the story has got a lot more going on than I realized. But what I noticed that stuck out to me was that all these people looking for a king. Of course you have the wise men. The shepherds, they say, let's go see what we've just been told by these angels. Let's go check that out. And they make a search for the child and find him. But you also find Mary and Joseph looking forward to this king that's coming. I mean, Mary finds out he's going to be a king. Oh my goodness, this is exciting. But you, and you also see something else. There are two characters besides Herod who's looking for a king. And by the way, he doesn't find him. There's a lesson there. Why is he unable to find Jesus, the king? Because he's looking for the wrong reason. 
But you've got two other people. Their names are Simeon and Anna that are found in Luke 2 that meet the king 40 days after the birth. So he's still an infant. And that's what I noticed here. And that's what I thought I'd today as we kick off this idea of pursuing the king. I don't know what you're pursuing this Christmas, but Christmas is about pursuing a king, the king of kings and lord of lords in your life. It's, it's not making him king because he's already king. Okay? He's already ruling. It's whether or not you're going to surrender to his lordship, his rule in your life. And so I thought today what I'd like to do, and we're going to, in this series, we're going to look at the people, all these people that were looking and pursuing this king, and what can we learn from them? But today I want to talk about the king. The king of Christmas. The king that's mentioned here. uh, And that's King Jesus. Uh, Because I think about, what I'm looking at here is, as I read this passage, I see all these people looking for him. And what kind of king do they find? Because the king that they found will be the same king I find when I pursue the king. Make sense? And so Christmas, I hope Christmas... It's not just to, don't let it just become about all the, the stuff that our world and the commercialism and all that. But I hope you'll, you'll look deeper and go, you know what? I want to find this king. Because when you find this king, you are truly blessed with the greatest gift of all. So here's what I want to do. I, want to, I just want to basically look at three things I noticed about this king. There's probably others, but these are the three that leaped out at me as I studied this passage. And it is when I look for Jesus, when I look for Jesus, here's the kind of king I'm going to find. I will find a king, first of all, that can relate to me. He understands me. He gets me. You ever been with people and they just don't get you? They can't relate to you. You feel like a thumb. You stick out like a sore thumb. You're like, man, nobody understands what I'm, nobody understands. Jesus gets you. He understands you. You know, what I notice, how do you know that, Tim? Well, what I notice is when Jesus was born, when the news of this occurred and the news was to be announced, the angels do not announce it to the priests or the scribes or people with clout and power. You'd think that'd be the people, the movers and the shakers of society should hear this. Other, Other kings, other people of power and prestige, they don't hear that. They're not the first to hear about it. No, it's shepherds. Shepherds. Look what it says here. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. First of all, I want to tell you, shepherds are hard to terrify because they've seen everything. This is something they've never... I mean, they've encountered encountered danger. They've had to defend their flock. They know what it's like to be out there by themselves at night. But this is something they've never seen before. And it freaks them out. It says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. And look at this. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. It's for everybody. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. It includes you, shepherds. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes lying in a manger. 
Now you'd think that would stick out to these guys, but that that just that he says you'll look for him in a stable, in a manger. Look for him there. And so these guys drop what they're doing. They stop what they're doing. They put their lives on hold to go look for this king. I want you to know this morning, Jesus is not some aloof, detached, unapproachable, out-of-touch king living on a palace on a hill somewhere. No, no, no. He was born like you and I. He was just like you and I. He's placed in a feeding trough. Think about that for a minute. My wife had me make some cradles or she goes make some mangers I mangers is that what we mean you know a manger and I'm thinking okay she I said she give me a picture and we found this nice little looking manger they're pretty and so I made six of them for the kids kids uh, kids classes and um, when I grew up on a farm the manger we had wasn't that pretty because it's a trough that you feed animals from. You put hay and grain and stuff, and they bring their dirty, smelly heads in there and slobber and and just eat and moo and whatever. Imagine that. Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, is placed in a feeding trough. He's Listen, He's welcomed first by the deplorable of this world. The misfits. The weird ones. These guys, these shepherds, lived outside of town all the time. Very rarely they get to go into town. And when they do, you know, they don't know what's going on. They're not in tune with things. They're socially awkward. They talk strange. Their body, they'll say anything. They smell. And yet God announced the birth of His Son, this new King. He starts... Not at the top of the ladder, folks, but at the bottom rung. This is the lowest job you can have as a shepherd. I read somewhere in a commentary, you know, it's believed that these shepherds were keepers of the sheep of the temple that were sacrificed. So, Jesus announces to the keepers of the lambs, sacrificial lambs, the Lamb of God. Okay. I don't know if that's deep. It's a nice thought, isn't it? But you know what I get? I get that Jesus reaches from heaven his, where majesty is. His all-powerful majesty, His throne of heaven comes down to the lowest because the good news is for all people. And He wants to make sure they're all covered. And so, what kind of life does this this king live? It's a very humble beginning, isn't it? His family is poor. That's what we learn. We learn he's, he's like anybody else. Look at the Bible says here in Hebrews 2. We are people of flesh and bone. That is why Jesus became one of us. And he goes on to say, to, to die, to physically die to save us. To supply that perfect human sacrifice. But isn't it interesting? He's saying, He became like us. The word Emmanuel, the Christmas story says, God with us. 
That's what it means. John 1, I think it's verse 14, says, and the Word, talking about Jesus, became flesh and dwelled among us. And what it means is He lived with us. Why? So He could understand us. So you would know He understands you. Uh, there was a story about a medieval king who used to sneak out of the palace. He would sneak out of the palace and, man, it just made everybody just on edge. The magistrates, the, the, the security guards, I mean, he'd come back, he, he'd, he'd, he would uh, disguise himself incognito and he would walk around the town and stuff. And when he'd come back, they'd say, Your Majesty, what are you doing? Don't you realize you're putting your life in danger? You, you can't be doing this. He goes, I must. You see, if I'm going to rule these people, I need to know who I'm ruling, how they live. I need to understand. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's not born with a spoon in his mouth. Why? He, his family is so poor, they can only come up with they can only come up with enough money to get two doves when they make a sacrifice at the temple. Forty days. They come 40 days later after Jesus is born because they're to dedicate this firstborn and, they, and, and perform two sacrifices at the temple. One is a sin offering, not for his sins, but for possibly Mary's and Joseph's, especially Mary because she's unclean. After giving birth, that's what the Levitical law would tell us. But then there's another dove that's given as a burnt offering. It's burnt completely up. And if you remember when we studied the book of Leviticus, we learned that a burnt offering means all of it is dedicated to God. And this offering was on Christ's behalf. But did you know there was a third thing they did? And that was this. They had to buy back the firstborn son from the temple, from the Lord. Imagine. It's called redeeming. You're redeeming the Redeemer. And it was five shekels. I can't imagine, where did this family, if they can't afford two doves, where did they get the money for this? They had to have scrimped and saved and scoured and sold stuff, sacrificed, so their son could be bought back. You say, what does that mean to him? Well, what would happen is, is if the firstborn was dedicated to God and he would work in the temple, and if Jesus, which means the Lord saves, is to take, if that's to take place, he must be among the people. And so his parents buy him back so he can be dedicated, a dedicated life among you and I. I think it's a good lesson here, parents. Are you willing to sacrifice so your children can serve the Lord? Not in this building but out there, anywhere. Joseph and Mary did just that. Even Jesus said one time, I don't have a place to lay my head. That's how poor he was. Is he homeless? You figure it out. All I know is this, by, being, by being, living the kind of life that's the lowest on the rung, he covers all of us. So he understands what loss is like. He understands disappointment. He understands victories and celebration, but he understands tears. He understands suffering. He understands loneliness. And he also understands 
what temptation is like and how it works because he was tempted, according to the Hebrew writer, in every way, yet he didn't sin. I want you to know this morning that King Jesus understands what you're going through because he lived through it too. He lived through it too. He didn't get special treatment. He didn't use cheat codes. He experienced it head on because he, he wanted you to know he understands and he gets you. He gets you. And when you find, when you find this king, here's what you find. You find a king that can, that can identify with you and you find his understanding, his mercy, and his love. He doesn't want to rule in some nameless place and never meet you. He wants to know you. That's the first thing I notice. When I look for, for Jesus, I find a king that can relate to me. Here's another thing I notice. When I look for a king, I will find a king that has the power to rule over everything. This is kind of a, a strange a strange concept, I guess, in some ways. You say, well, no, Tim, I know he's king of king and lord of lord. Yeah, I know we say that, but do we believe that? I had somebody say to me, this Bob Hawkins says, you know, I, I know guys that preach some things, but do they preach what they believe? Oh, that really cut me. Because, see, I have a hard time believing this. I find moments, yeah, what do you mean, Tim? When I worry, when I'm afraid, when I'm discouraged, I have a hard time believing that. You see, Jesus possesses all power and rules over everything. Look what it says here. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. What's that word Lord mean? It comes from a Greek source, kurios. What's it mean? It means, here's what it means, the owner. There's another way to say it. He is the owner. He is the master. The term Lord was referred to, when you use the word Lord in New Testament times, it would refer to the emperor of Rome. He is a monarch. He's in charge. He's a ruler. It literally means he has the power to control. He has all the levers. He's in charge. In Psalms 22, look what it says here. The Lord is king. He rules over the nations. See, here's a fact. Kings rule. That's what they do. They're in charge. They rule. They call the shots. And the rule of a king, the rule of a king is based on how much power he has. Would you agree with that? So if you're a little king of a little country, You've got a little bit of power, right? And its, and, its, and its power is limited by the borders of the country or nation you're, you rule. Well, the Lord has no borders. He has no borders. Let me, let me read a passage to you. I was, it's funny. I'll do a word search in, in, my, in my computer, and I can't find certain verses. Then I get my leather out, and there it is. I don't understand. I don't know how it works, but I'll take it. I ran across this early this morning. Let me read this passage to you. This is about the Lord. It's in Psalms 103. I'm going to start reading verse 8 and just read a while. 
The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He'll not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father, there's an authority figure, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we're dust. The Lord has established, this is verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all you heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his work. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. The Bible's saying, recognize the power of God. He has the power over everything. The angels do, and it's time the earth does. Everyone on earth should. And this is where I have my I have my problem. Because sometimes I don't live like he's in charge. When does that happen, Tim? When I worry. And when I worry. And when I worry, when I get, when I, when I'm afraid, it's there that I'm challenged. Well, I believe He has power over everything, or does He just have a little power, or none at all? See, this King can relate to me, but He has power over everything. Look what it says here in Isaiah 40. Look, all the nations in the world are like one small drop in the bucket. If the Lord took all the faraway nations and put them on His scales, they would be like small pieces of dust. Compared to God, all the nations of the world are nothing. What does that say about Russia? With all their missiles. All their military might. What does that say about China? That right now has the largest army in the world. And what that say about us with our drones and technology and our intelligence and our sophisticated weaponry? We have ships all over the world, all around the world. Our presence is everywhere. We are a superpower. What to say about us? We're a drop in the bucket. We're a drop in the bucket compared to the power of God. But China, but Russia, Put United States all together. Put anybody that's got any power. Guess what? It's dust. It's dust on the scales of measuring the power that exists. And there's two reasons why I'm making this point here. And I see this. I see this in the Scriptures. He is a king that's supposed to rule. So what does that tell me? Two important things. Number one, Jesus has power over all my problems. There is not a problem you face, not a problem I face, that Jesus doesn't have power over. Everything from, I can't turn this bolt and want to throw my wrench across the room. That actually happened to me this week. My arm's going, I can't. He has power over that. Is that really a problem? 
It can be. But when I'm diagnosed with something that I'm not going to survive. Now, how do I know that? Because, because he, he has power over death, what other problem can rival that? Look what it says here. But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, you are not just an insignificant village in Judah. A ruler will come who will be like a shepherd for my people. Now, what's that saying? It's saying, well, first of all, I'm sheep. That I'm not in control. I know we'd like to think we have control. You, know, I've, you and I have control over one thing. I think one thing. Our choice. Now, if you're married, that might be compromised. But other than that, no, I'm just saying, don't, don't, we have the power to choose. That's, all, that's what God has granted us. See, He's not like a king that will force Himself on you, force His will on you. No, He's a shepherd that will lead you. He's not a butcher that will beat you to the slaughterhouse. He's a shepherd that leads you to green pastures. He calls you and lets you decide. He's in charge of the flock. He's in charge of everything. And like a good shepherd, He lays down His life he protects you. He has a staff and a club in his hand. Is what David says a good shepherd has. And that club is not for show. He'll beat the brains out of anything that gets near you. Any problem you face. See, sheep, I don't know, they always get in trouble. They're like a one-year-old or a two-year-old. They just don't know. Put that down. Who gave her that knife? I don't know. Give me the knife, Nora. They, 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 you have to constantly watch them. I have to constantly, when we're watching the grandkids, when they say, well, you watch the grandkids, they're not, they're not lying. You do. Get away from that. No. Come here. Let's go over here. Lock that up. You're, we're going to put you in a box. And see, we, we're like two-year-olds. Oh, we're sophisticated. But let's, let's, can we just face we don't know everything and we don't have as much control as we think we do? Just when I think I've got control, a phone rings. And I find out, you ain't as hot as you think you are, Tim. That is out of your control. So we need a king. We need a ruler. We need a shepherd. And he rules like a shepherd that directs me and protects me, that feeds me and leads me and lets me decide, lets you decide if you want to follow Him. Look at what it says here. This is Isaiah 9. Talking about this, the idea of, God, of, the, of King coming. Look what it says. This will happen when a special child is born. God will give us a son who will be responsible for leading the people. And look what his name is. His name will be Wonderful Counselor. He knows how to direct us. And guide us. Powerful God. Oh, he's got, He is powerful. He can protect us. Father who lives forever. He's not going anywhere. He's going to stay right there with me. And Prince. Ah, royalty. Majesty. Prince of what? Peace. His power will continue to grow and there will be peace without end. This will establish Him as a king sitting on David's throne and ruling His kingdom. He'll rule with goodness. 
and justice forever and ever. This king, he is powerful over everything and he wants to help me. He's kind to me. He's fair to me. This is a, what a picture. Peace, security, stability. And yet some of us here, do you ever find yourself living like he's powerless? Like he can't change it? He can't solve it? I've tried that before. I've heard that before. It doesn't work. And so we so what's our alternative? Not peace, but instability and stress. We're wigging out. Emotionally, a small issue breaks us down and everything comes crumbling over something small. I want you to know this morning, you do not have to live like that because the King is reigning now. And the power He has is limitless and can, and can and listen, with His power, you trust His power, It'll handle all your problems. But there's a second thing I notice, and that is Jesus has power over me. Not only does He have power over my problems, He has power over me. He does? Yes, He does. Even if I don't want Him to be my King? Absolutely. Well, after the election, people run in the streets, a few people. Not my president. Not my president. Not my president. Want to bet? You can say it all you want. No, no, President. Want to bet? Get over it. Who had trouble with the results of the election? I'm tr- who was accused of it? And who actually had trouble with it? We all had trouble with it. You see, we live in a democracy. Kings and, and kingdoms, that's, those are terms we use. I know I'm going to date myself. Y'all remember the Beverly Hillbillies? <laughs> Jethro Bodine, they find out that they have royalty, so they go to England and meet the Englishers. And, and Jethro goes, where's my oafs? Where's my knaves? Remember that? He had no idea what he was talking about. And I'm thinking, oaf? Knave? I'm saying to you is that some of these terms that are in the Bible are so hard for us to relate to because, see, we live in a democracy. And the way a democracy works is, well, we give people permission to rule over us. We vote them in. We vote them out. In fact, didn't we one time have a king that tried to tell us what to do and what did we do to him? We had... A document. The Declaration of Independence. We're Americans. You don't tell us what to do. Taxation without representation. We'll show you. Kick your can all the way back to England. And that's what we did. We even have a day to celebrate our independence. See, we don't like anybody telling us what to do. And so this idea of a king, well, wait a minute. 
that other one didn't work out. Why would I want a king in my life? I got news for you. You already have a king in your life. Just which king is it going to be? And this is the king you want to have. You see, Jesus was not made king from my vote. He was already king. His Father made Him king. And so He already has power over me. I've realized the older you get, every breath you draw is because He allows it. Life is that fragile. He's already king. He has a kingdom. And He's ruling right now. Look what it says in Psalm 66, verse 7. His mighty power rules forever. And nothing nations do can be hidden from Him. So don't turn against God. He said, look, He's in charge already. I'm already His subject, so really the choice I have is, will I rebel? He's not my president. Or will I surrender? See, the real question is not, is Jesus... I don't make Him king. I'm just agreeing that He is. I'm simply saying when I, when I become a Christian, I've just left my own personal kingdom. And by the way, based on your power, how, what are your borders? Not even that. I'm leaving my kingdom and putting myself in His Kingdom. You see, what did Jesus say one time? If you're going to follow me, he sit down and count the cost. He said one time in Luke 14, let me give you an illustration to help you understand. There are two kings, one with 10,000 and one with 20,000. And the king with 20,000 is coming to make war with the king of 10,000. Won't the king with 10,000, when he realizes he cannot win, sit down and ask for terms of peace? And what are the terms? Surrender. And by the way, not surrendering to a king that's a bad king, but a great king. You find out, why was I fighting him so much? When he loves me, and he cares for me, and, and everything that he had, all of his riches, he set aside and became poor so I could benefit. That's not a typical king, folks. He let goes of his power. Let's goes, let's go of his power. He becomes vulnerable. You you see his uh, earlier his holiness in his lowliness is what what I heard somebody say one time. What a powerful king we have! What a great king we have! And the so the question is: Will I surrender control or suffer the consequences? I want to say this to you as clear as I can. You do not want to be on the wrong side of this. You want to be on the right side of this thing. He's, he's, he rules you whether you want Him to or not. And you can fight Him and be miserable, or you can surrender to Him and be blessed. With, notice, notice this. Here's the, I love this in Psalms 44. The sons of Korah wrote this. You are my King and my God. It's something I choose because you're going to be my king. I don't choose if he is the king. I choose if he's going to be mine. And I do that by becoming a Christian. I do that by repenting. I do that by reaching out to him and changing. And, could, 
and dealing with the rules and, and the principles or the, the values I have in my own kingdom and surrendering them to the values and principles and will of Him. I seek to please Him. Let me tell you one last thing. When you look for Jesus, if you look for Jesus, I noticed this in the Christmas story, you're going to find a king that can restore you. I know we've, you've probably heard this before. You know, the Jews had this idea that he was going to restore the kingdom of, the kingdom of God against the Romans and stuff. And of course, he, Jesus said, one time he's talking to Pilate, I believe it's, he's talking to Pilate and he says, uh, my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate says, so you are a king. And he goes, yeah, you are correct. I am a king. But uh, my kingdom is not like what you think. But I want you to see something here. I've read this story hundreds of times, folks. And I, like I told you before, I've started the Christmas story too late and ended it too soon. What I mean by that is I've left out bits and pieces of the beginning and the end of it. And because of that, I missed something here. And I just thought, well, this I'll never overlook this again. What are you talking about? Well, if you remember the Christmas story, the wise men come and ask Herod, you know, where, where is the king that's been born? And Herod, who's a king, king of Israel, is nervous. He goes, what are you talking about? I'm talking about this king. We saw this star in the east, and we've been, we've been following it. He gets his scribes out. Is he, what's he talking about? He's talking about this king is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. He's supposed to be born here. And that's what they're after. Oh, really? I'll tell you what, guys. You go look for him. And when you find him, let me know. Because I'd like to worship him too. He had no interest in worshiping him. You see, this king made him nervous. You ever been nervous when Jesus is trying to be Lord? When you're challenged to do something, you're getting, oh, that's scaring me. That's the way Herod's feeling. You're, you're rocking my apple cart here. You're, you're disrupting my, my life here. You're telling me I need to surrender some more. And he's thinking, somebody's going to take my job? He's going to... He had taken my job. So go find him so I can worship him. And of course, the, the wise men find Jesus. They find him at a house. By this time, it's, Jesus is not an infant anymore. He's a little older. And then they're warned in a dream to go home, and they go home another way. And when Herod finds out, he's furious. And what's he do? He kills a bunch of kids. Two years and younger, he passes an edict, I want all these children killed. And this verse is in the Christmas story. I've overlooked it for years, but not anymore. As these babies are being killed, Matthew writes a passage from, I believe, the prophet Jeremiah. A sound was heard in Ramah, bitter crying and great sadness. Rachel cries for her children, and she cannot be comforted because her children are gone. What in the world is this doing in the Christmas story? This just spoils it. What's this doing in here? This is not the sound of Christmas. Silver bells, silver bells. You're such a disease, Kevin. These are sounds of Christmas. Nicole and I, we, we have a tradition of watching White Christmas every December. It's been challenged the last two years, <coughs> grandchildren. But we'll talk about that some other time. 
you know, there's, the, the sounds of Christmas are joy and peace and happiness and sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? Right? All these sounds. No, this is not the sound I want to hear on Christmas. Bitter crying and great sadness. What's this about? Well, let me tell you what. Why don't we just admit something? That Christmas can be a painful time of the year for people. Why can't we just admit that the, the happy holidays sometimes hurt? We lose loved ones. And like some of you here are facing your first Christmas without your wife, without a relative, a grandparent, a great-grandparent. My grandfather, one of my grandfathers died on Christmas Eve. For years, I watched my father during the holidays go into a funk. Can we just, why don't we just admit it? Sometimes Christmas is not so hot. And I want to ask you as a church, can we recognize the Rachel's Will we be a place and will you be the kind of person during the Christmas season, instead of writing them off as Scrooge and Ebenezer or whatever, you know, and, and oh, you're a party pooper, can we just recognize that there's some people that Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year for them? And maybe this year it may not be. And, be, and, and when we find these people, and maybe you're one of them today, divorce has hurt you, disease Disease has touched my family. Death has touched my family. Christmas isn't the same anymore. And I realize it's not going to be the same. We're not going to be at Bone Gap gathered around with Norma and Bob and everybody because people die. I know I have a sister-in-law that has cancer, and you know they're going to be they're going to be doing a special procedure where they're putting radiation pellets around her tumors near her liver hoping this will buy her two years. Some of you here have been hurt, abused, betrayed. Some of your friendships you used to have are gone. And like Rachel... You cannot be comforted. You, you ref, by the way, it means she refuses it. I don't want it. I don't want Christmas. I wish Christmas would hurry up and be over with. Huh? And I want you to know, if you're one of those people, there is a king that has come that is near the brokenhearted who can help you and restore peace when it's all been turned upside down. Hope. You can look forward to something wonderful. And joy. The deep satisfaction of knowing you're going to be okay. Let me give you these two people I hope you'll study out and look at. Because they're at a place in their life where they've been hurt. The first one is Simeon. 
Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does consolation mean? The comfort of Israel. Waiting for this Messiah. And when He comes, when He comes, it says, when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for Him what the custom of the law required, it says, Simeon took Him in his arms and praised God. Here's a man that has some kind of pain in his life. We don't know what it is. Some kind of loss in his life. And he praises God because he's found the King of kings. He's found the Christ. He's found Jesus. And I want you to know that Christmas, this Christmas, I, I think of Tom Tarantino, guys. I'll just put it out there. I know, Tom, you know Jackie's gone. You know what he said to me? Those two little boys are helping me get through this. That there's blessings somewhere to be found. I'm not cheapening. Listen, I'm not going to say I'm cheapening your sorrow a bit. I'm very frightened of what I want to say. I don't mean to cheapen it. don't mean to belittle it. But there is joy if you'll look for it. There is a king. If you'll look for him and find him, you will find some peace and joy again. But you've got to look. Not at yourself and your problems so much, but at the Lord and His majesty, the King. Look at this in Luke 2. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, from the tribe of Asher. This tribe is nearly forgotten. Did you know that? This tribe is nearly forgotten. She's very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. He dies. And then as a widow, until she was 84, she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment, to Joseph and Mary and Jesus. She gives thanks to God. And look what she does. She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Sounds like the shepherds who did the very same thing. They spread it all over town. This is good news. I want to ask you, as I close this lesson, and as we begin this series, I want you to pray for me. I really want to help people during this series. I want us to help people during this, this church to help people this series. And can I ask you, first of all, here's what you can do. I'd like to challenge you to pursue the King of Kings during this Christmas season. Wrap your presents. Hang your lights. Look forward to family stuff. But look for the King. Look for that personal encounter with this King named Jesus. I want to ask you to look for the Rachels that you work with in your family, in your small group. They need you right now. Oh, they'll say, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I don't need to go. No, no, don't you let them intimidate you. Because they're broken and they need to know that there's a king that can heal the broken heart. I want to ask you to use this Christmas season to spread good news. Everybody's thinking about Jesus. A lot of people are. Why not talk about it? We have an invitation to our Christmas service. 
but there's more in each bulletin. There's more out in the front. Why not just go talk to people? Spread the good news. Let me encourage you to open up your home. Not on Christmas alone, but during the Christmas season, invite, invite people to your home. Invite people to church. You know, one last verse. It's not on your notes, not up on screen, but it is in the Bible. And this is what it says. It's Jeremiah 29. We've read it for years. If you seek me, you'll, you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart. Remember that verse? I like that, the easy to read version. It says, when you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. And it says this, I will let you find me, declares the Lord. God isn't interested in hiding. He will not hide from you this morning. He wants to be found. He wants you and He to be together. He wants you in His kingdom. And God's going to give people an opportunity to find Him during this series. He may give you an opportunity to discover a way to find Him as well. So I want to encourage you this week, this month, as we get into the Christmas season, to help people by looking for the King yourself and helping others find Him as well. There's this card in your bulletin. And this card is just a, a communication card. You can ask for prayers of the church. You can ask, you know, maybe there's a decision you want to make. Maybe you have a question about Christmas you'd like answered. I don't know what your needs are this morning, but God does. Why not ask people to pray for you? Let them, let them pray for you. We have a team of people that do nothing but talk to God about what you write on your card. Even if it's blank, they bring your name before the throne of God. If that's all you want, just, I'll just put my name down. That would be fine. But if there's something you specifically want prayed about, use this powerful opportunity for God to work. Let's pray, and then we'll be through this morning. Father, we come to your, we come before you. <laughs> you are in charge. You have power over every problem we have. Sometimes, Father, I don't see it. I don't know how to see it. But I know it's true. And like a shepherd, Father, you gently, confidently lead me, lead us, protect us, provide for us. You laid down your own life. What a good shepherd you are, Lord. Father, help us recognize you have all the power that our levers aren't really connected to much. You have all the levers of control. And we can either make that bitter or make, make us bitter or better from it. Well, I pray that we'll recognize your sovereignty, your power, your majesty, that we'll trust you because of that. Thank you for living amongst us. Father, it would be so hard to serve you if I thought you didn't understand. Thank you for being so understanding. Understanding what all of us here, each of us here go through, are going through. Father, we pray that, that we'll find you in a deeper, richer way for some of us here. For some of us here, just to find, simply find you for the first time. 
and experience restoration. Father, I pray we use the Christmas season not only to enjoy and exchange gifts, Father, but we'll also exchange good news. We'll give good news to others and draw people closer to finding You. Help us surrender, Lord. We want to please You. You are our King and our God. Help us, Father. Give us the power, the words, the moments to let others know that You reign. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.